0: Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. It has ...that season of Christmas shall last 12 days. And on the evening of the 12th day of Christmas, the church moves from the season of Christmas to the Feast of the Epiphany of our Lord. Epiphany of our Lord was once seen as the second holiest day of the church here. Church baptized the second largest amount of Christians on that day. Epiphany is now almost forgotten because it's a movable holiday. Today is actually January 5th, tomorrow is Epiphany. But I hate not celebrating and commemorating this major feast day in the church. Because it's a movable holiday, it almost often always falls during the week, and most churches rarely have a special liturgy to commemorate Epiphany. Some churches skip it all together, some churches are doing what we are doing and moving the feast day from the 6th to the 2nd Sunday of Christmas, but then we miss hearing lessons and celebrating the 2nd Sunday of Christmas. And then there's the rest of the world where they already are peddling Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day apparel for you to buy. Christmas is not over for a few more hours. So I think on this day, the 12th day of Christmas, we remember the nativity of our Lord from the perspective of St. Matthew. (coughs) St. Matthew has one of the most boring of all in the birth narratives, and there's only two, so this is really boring. You have Mary telling Joseph that she's pregnant, Joseph decides to dismiss her quietly because he's a righteous man. and That's what righteous men do. They follow on the law. and the law says that if your betrothed is found to be a child and it's not yours, you are to either dismiss her quietly or uh, hand her over to be stoned with. So he's doing what is righteous. He is he's leaving her. Then Joseph has a dream and is told it's okay to take Mary as his wife. And so then Matthew tells us that she bears her firstborn son, and they name him Jesus Emmanuel. But in between the time of the dream and the birth, Matthew adds in this weird line that Joseph and Mary no numerical relations to, to, during that time. And that's it. That's all we get of the birth narrative. There's no trip to Bethlehem. In fact, it appears Mary and Joseph are already living in Bethlehem. There is no stable, there are no shepherds, there's no sleeping or having a child in the stable. All you get are these characters called magic, or in our NRSV translation, wise people. But the Greek is more better seen as magic. They're called people from the east, they come to see Jesus, they stopped in Jerusalem searching for the newborn king, for the Jewish king, because that's where the Jewish king is supposed to live, right? In Jerusalem. And so they go there and they find Herod, who is the supposed, supposedly, the king of the Jews. <coughs> and they meet him, they meet him, and he is terrified that he might be replaced as the king. Their encounter in Jerusalem shows us that the insiders who are supposed to know about Jesus and the Messiah know nothing about his arrival. About a month ago, my parents took my brother and I our whole family up to Lancaster to see the miracle of Christmas at sight and sound. In it, they portray all the characters as understanding exactly what is going on, but that's not really biblical. Our scripture tells us that nobody had a We sent Mary, and even then, Mary is still kind of bewildered at all the mystery, these things that are taking place around her, according to Luke's Gospel. According to Matthew, Herod had to send scholars to search through scripture to find this very obscure prophecy in Micah 5.2. If you're the Jewish king, you think you would know your Bible. You think you would just pick up your own Bible, but this Jewish king is no Jewish king. And really the passage is not all that informative, but it's the only passage that could find mention of a Jewish savior, a Jewish king, and a town together. The Jewish king then, known as Herod, uses this information to create a plan to destroy this newborn king, the outsiders, the magi, the astronomers, the palm readers, whatever you might want to call them, that use this information to continue their search for the Savior of the world so that they might pay him homage, so that they might worship him. They understand who Jesus is supposed to be. They, the insiders, though, have no clue. And so the magi go to Bethlehem and present Jesus with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is not written is the wise women then coming afterwards and bringing a castles and diapers and some wine for Mary. That's what I think anyway. These outsiders, they travel a great distance to visit the home of Jesus. They bring strange but elaborate gifts and they return back home to their countries after this visit. They traveled over two years to see Jesus and then have to travel two years back home. But God warns them in a dream to not return to Jerusalem. Herod figures out that that he has been duped by the Magi and sends his men to kill all the boys two years and under at Bethlehem. It seems Matthew's Gospel takes a very strange turn in the recount of the birth of Jesus. None of us like to think about this part of the Christmas story. We bury it, we ignore it, but yet it still remains. Innocent children lost their lives because the so-called Jewish king was a coward and was scared of being replaced. Had Herod even read his Bible, he would have remembered that another king in Egypt attempted to do the same exact thing many years ago in Egypt, and it didn't end well for him and it didn't end well for his son. I myself feel very uncomfortable with this part of the gospel. Just yesterday I was seeing an ordination, and the hymn of the day was Morning Cry. And I had a hard time saying that final verse. When evening gently closes in, and you shut your weary eyes. Be there as I have always been, just one more surprise. As I hold my now two and a half-year-old son, I can't imagine a king killing him in order to protect his stone. Yet I feel compelled each year to hear this part of the birth of Jesus because I know the reality for most people after Christmas is that we find ourselves in similar situations of weeping and mourning. One commentator on this text says it best. <laughs> As a general theme, life after Christmas is not all that sweet. Following the birth, there is anger and murder, weeping and wailing, moving and resettling. After our wonderful Christmas celebrations, we are again confronted with the fact that the kingdom has not fully arrived. The peace on earth sung by the angels at Jesus' birth from Luke's Gospel is followed by death and destruction, suffering and evil, according to Matthew's account. The coming of God is not the news for the tyrants will be thrown down from their thrones. On this, the twelfth day of Christmas, it is good for us to remember that Christmas did not necessarily bring peace. It did not bring wonderment and amazement. It did not bring happiness to all people. What Christmas brought to us, though, is Jesus, who is God with us, who is God for us, who is God near us, who is God. Having God come into our world does not mean all the bad and evil things were taken away. No, no, no. Having God come into our world means we have someone to lean, to be with, to feel our pain and to feel our fear. Having God come into our world means the fear brought by the tyrants will one day be no more. And though there might be weeping and wailing and loud lamentations following the birth, our God stays with us. Life after Christmas is not all that sweet. But what this story also teaches us is that you can't chase the Lord away you. can't chase the Lord away from you. Yes, he might have fled to Egypt as a refugee, but he came back. I mean, that's the story of our Lord. How many times did Jesus barely escape an angry mob in the Bible? What about the cross? Those tyrants tried to get rid of Jesus once for all. They crucified him, threw him in a tomb, and let his body rot away, but yet he came back. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It doesn't matter what this world has thrown at him, Jesus always comes back. And today, even when we try to push Jesus away, Jesus comes back into our sorrow, into our joy, into our fears, into our hopes, and brings us a different one, a different message. Our God brings us the final world, Emmanuel. Our God lives, my brothers and sisters. And on this day, when we remember the innocent lives lost to the hands of Herod, when we remember those strange people coming to visit Jesus. We should also remember all those innocent lives lost at the hands of tyrants, of evil people. And as we stand here in our grief and pain over the loss of such innocents, we shall say no more. We preach this powerful gospel that tells us that people like Herod will not prevail and they will be brought to justice. Let us remember that on the tw- this 12th day of Christmas, the day we remember the Magi coming from the east. Let us remember on this day the sacrifice of the innocent children of Bethlehem. Even though their names might be lost to history and to time, let us not forget them. For they have joined a great cloud of witnesses that surround us each Let us not forget them by working to make sure genocides and atrocities like that in Bethlehem will be no more. And may you continue to search for the one called Jesus.